This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Entertainment, music, pop culture, LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy, happy Monday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan bringing you the news of the day, pop culture, a bit about our crazy lives and so much more, plus some fun music in between right here on Channel Q. Yes, yes, yes. What's up, everyone? Hope you had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. You know, I'm just constantly thinking about the end of May is near. This year has completely flown by, and Pride season is like in the next week. It's upon us. It's literally here. We're living in Pride season, and, you know, L.A. Pride canceled. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting how all the prides across the country happen. Yes. And there's already some news coming out about how prides like New York City are going to be handling themselves. And there's going to be a lot virtually and digitally, mm-hmm. as we know. Yeah. There's always a way to celebrate. Let's be clear. Yeah. And Pride is canceled in L.A., but there is something else happening, like a major event. You know, you'll find out very soon about okay. that. Okay. Right. Um, really quick, though, I have a I have a thing. I was at a, um, a cool, I was hanging out with some friends on Saturday night, and I, it's a listener from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And apparently, our show's pretty popular in Chicago. No way. I'm be- I'm actually being very serious. What so do you mean? How I did you a- find that out? So what I have a mean? friend who was visiting Chicago because they also they had like a family thing uh-huh. as we quickly wrap up here. And uh, I remember he when he was there, the car he said his his sister's car was already turned on to Channel Q, and apparently she loves listening to Channel Q. She loves listening to our show, and okay. he was like, "Oh, that's Ryan." And so I saw him uh, uh-huh. this weekend, and he said, "You know, literally everyone I know that lives in Chicago, their favorite station is Channel Q." I'm not even blowing smoke up your butt. I don't know why we're surprised because we're amazing. And he said they but, know who you are. What? And they, it's like I've gotten every car I've gotten into literally listening to Channel Q. Well, shout out Chicago. So shout out to Chicago. I know it's on B96 over there, HD2, or is it HD3? It's one of those. But either way, shout out to Chicago. It's going to be exciting. That. And I'm headed to Chicago this weekend, so I don't know. Maybe you'll get stopped. No, please don't. Maybe you'll be ordering a coffee, or you don't drink coffee, something. And they'll be like, what is that voice? Is it Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to tell us that because I, no, I, I thought about it, it and I was like, oh my God, Shira, what we do is worth it. <laughs> you know, Ryan keeps the good stopper on air. He doesn't even tell me this. No, of course. Well, we're going to be uh, talking about a lot today, including the doctors who are treating trans youth. Uh, we're going to talk more about their experience as their profession is being constantly threatened at 3.35 p.m. Pacific. 6.35 p.m. Eastern, and Roe versus Wade heads to the Supreme Court. Ooh. We can expect in 30 minutes with Politico. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, let's get into this one. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a budget proposal that includes $3 million for the California Department of Education to develop an LGBTQ plus cultural comp- competency training curriculum for public school teachers and staff. So needed. He did this in conjunction with Equality California. And so another thing he's doing to get the folks together, as we know, his governorship is being questioned. And on the other side of it, he has a trans candidate, Caitlyn Jenner, running against him. And I think this is his way of showing like he's doing the right thing uh, when a lot of states are being obviously um, bringing up a lot of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills. So good on Newsom doing something good. And uh, that was a quickie. What's trending this hour? We need to move into entertainment news. What's going on? 
Okay, so super quick, let's uh, congratulate Miss Ariana Grande because guess what? That queen literally just announced that she got married over the weekend. She secretly married her fiance, Dalton Gomez, in a very intimate home wedding. Um, she went from a dangerous woman to a married woman. Uh, she is 27. She uh, a rep told and confirmed to people it, they got married. It was very tiny and intimate, less than 20 people. Cute. The room was so happy and full of love. Uh, the couple and both families couldn't be happier. Um, the source also says it seems only natural that they would get married at Ariana's beautiful and historic house. Um, I just, I think this is so cute. I mean, she is someone who loves love. And always seems to find herself in in love. And I think this is a moment where she was finally able to kind of have her own, you know, wedding situation. And and I, I want to know more details, but hopefully they give us some footage. Hopefully we get some, some pictures behind the something. scenes. Yes. So find out more about that. Congratulations, Miss Ariana Grande and to the entire family. I got more tea report coming up next hour. And honey, we're dishing on Bill Gates. We love it's, to hear I'm it. spilling. More. Seriously. It's intense. Okay. So stay tuned. Well, coming up, police are being banned from participating in New York City Pride events. The latest details and whether that's the right decision next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. News came out that New York City Pride organizations are barring police officers from marching in their annual parade for at least the next four years until 2025. They're going to also limit law enforcement security presence, asking officers to maintain a distance of one block between themselves and the event at all times. And this created an uproar amongst obviously the uh, NYPD uh, those in goal which is the gay officers action league as well who was not mentioned in this and felt very attacked by this decision um, organizers said they would put the budget towards community responders and trained volunteers instead of relying on NYPD saying the sense of safety that law enforcement is meant to provide can instead be threatening and at times dangerous to those in our community who are most often targeted with excessive force and or without reason. So let's get into this and all the responses. Uh, because right off the bat when I saw this, like without diving in, and this could be a bit of like the superficial look of this, right? Is saying, I look at, um, with, and I remember when Pride happened after the Pulse nightclub. Uh huh. I, when we went to Pride, there was a worry of like, is it safe to be in these spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is this going to be targeted for a shooting or anything like that? And so there was a thought of like, okay, we want more security. But then, Obviously, understanding the historical background of police with the LGBTQ plus community and then adding in the um, black and POC communities and even trans communities, you can see how there's a huge lack of trust. I always wonder, why do we think that police are there to protect us? When they've proven time and time again, especially based off of the skin color, I feel like oftentimes that perspective of protection really only comes from non POC folks, non-black folks, to be quite honest, uh, more specific. And so this idea that the police is there to really protect us when history has shown us that they've done completely the opposite. And so for me, I thought this was a great idea. And it's unfortunate that um, we're seeing, you know, uh, people, you know, speak out about against this and in, in ways where they're trying to kind of manipulate what the truth is. I mean, the deputy commissioner, John Miller, uh, he is over the uh, New York Police Department in New York. Um, he posted a video talking about, you know, the decision and how it was hurtful and and how they've always kind of been inclusive and, and their dialogue has always been about um being as inclusive as possible. And he posted that with a video of tons of New York's police department, the officers waving pride flags, but his failure to, to mention what happened last year. for me is a problem. So for folks who don't remember yeah. what happened last year, uh, police pepper sprayed arrested protesters who were standing up for black lives um, on pride in New York city. And this was not a peaceful way to celebrate pride. No, not at all. I think, you know, last year tensions were high. This country was going through a racial awakening. And we saw time and time again during these peaceful protests that, you know, police officers were antagonizing and creating harmful environments um, 
when, you know, all you're seeing is tanks and, and you're being shot with rubber bullets and, and people were seriously getting hurt. And to know that that happened with Pride 51 years after Stonewall when Pride <laughs> was literally created because of police's, you know, actions in, in, in creating this riot, right, when it came to protesting. And so for me, police never really have a place there anyway. I understand being protected. I think that's important. And, you know, the community, I know New York, um, the actual New York City Pride said that they wanted to, there is going to be sense of a, a community-based uh, security and, there, you know, police officers will be there for critical situations, but they're going to be relying basically on community-based security and first responders. And I think this is going to be interesting to show what a, a world could possibly look like in this new reform formed way of doing, you know, policing our security and keeping everyone safe. Yeah, um, I agree. And I'm I'm wondering if they had notified or if they had all had a conversation and they said, this is what's going to happen. We're about to announce this because then it wouldn't have created as much confusion and then made it look like oh, the city is against the way the organizers are doing this. It would have said, They would have said, you know, we sat down and we knew about this right. and this is how they want to do it and we have to respect that. Yeah, and you brought up an interesting point when we were talking about this in the break about, well, what about, you know, the queer, the members apart that who are police officers and they are part of the LGBTQ plus community? Are they not allowed to show up? Well, yeah. they are allowed to show up, um, but they just can't be in their uniform, right? I think that is triggering for everyone. And if you want to show up, no one's telling you you can't show up but the presence of police officers in especially if they're not coming there to do anything else besides protecting these people if they're coming there to do other things that could be antagonizing or creating a non-safe space for so many queer folks who are fighting for their lives on a daily basis in a country where trans folks are fighting for their rights and humanity yeah Maybe police officers don't need to be there. But if you are queer and you are a police officer, you can show up. And I think that needs to be made clear because all these statements made it as if this group goal, the Gay Officers Action League again, wasn't going to be included and like everyone wasn't going to be able to participate. But yes, that is not the case. They're making it so there's that option. Uh, But just as a reminder, New York City Pride will move forward this year with some in-person events. The annual Pride March is scheduled for June 27th. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's Traditionally, a big event in Greenwich Village. It's going to take place virtually because of COVID-19 precautions. But there will be some in-person things. Uh, So let us know what you think at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, But coming up on the show, a person's right to an abortion, Roe versus Wade, is being challenged again in the Supreme Court. What you need to know with Politico, next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Supreme Court announced today that it will reconsider the right to an abortion it established almost 50 years ago. They are basically agreeing to review Mississippi's ban on the procedure after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And joining us right now is Sarah Overmall, political health reporter. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us more about the background of this latest case and why it's making its way back to the Supreme Court. So Mississippi enacted this in 2018 when when several conservative states were enacting laws that they knew were going to be struck down or at least halted by their district courts. But they were thinking or or banking on the fact that it could go to the Supreme Court and at least in some ways soften the Roe v. Wade uh, precedent that we have for abortion. What the Mississippi law would do is ban abortion past 15 weeks. The crux of the problem here is that Roe versus Wade established that uh, abortion is allowed up until a pregnancy is viable. The general medical thinking is that a pregnancy is not viable until 24 weeks. So this would be a very dramatic limitation on pregnancies, but of course, sorry, on abortions. But of course, we now have a very different court than we did even just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So what are anti-abortion groups saying about this? They're saying this is a huge victory for them. They're saying that this is something that uh, is a landmark case, that this is the thing that they have been waiting for, for a case like this to go before the Supreme Court and to say that this is going to be something that could redefine the way that we think about a fetus and also about abortion itself. The problem is that Roe v. Wade did set up a precedent, but now we have a Supreme Court that is majority conservative at this point, and several of those justices have not made any decisions in their record on abortion policy. 
So I guess the question on everyone's minds when they hear about this happening is worry, right? A lot of people are concerned. Is there a way that this could get passed and reversed? It is possible. I mean, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is still relatively new to the court. We know that she is uh, anti-abortion. We also have Brett Kavanaugh, who was added by President Trump. We have a majority conservative court right now. That said, Roe versus Wade did set up a precedent, and the medical thinking is that 15 weeks is not a viable pregnancy. It's not a viable fetus. So that is kind of the tension point right now. It's also worth noting that even though they have decided to take up this case, cases can take a long time for Supreme Court review. So it's very likely that the decision won't be handed down until potentially next summer. And that's going to be months ahead of the midterm elections. That's not something, you know, that Supreme Court justices necessarily take into account when they're doing things. They don't. But um, that could have ramifications for both Democratic and Republican uh, Congress people who are running for election. Yeah, abortion rights advocates are kind of, uh, you know, warning that this decision gutting Roe could really set off a chain reaction in conservative states. What does that really mean? Oh, it absolutely could. I mean, like I said, there, there were several conservative states that in the past few years have passed things that were never really going to have a chance in district courts, in state courts. But when this one, the first one really to go to the Supreme Court that tests this, if this goes through and if they say that this is possible, absolutely that opens the door for much more restrictive abortion policies Were that to happen. Again, this will take a while to go through, but even the fact that the Supreme Court is taking this up is significant in itself. Definitely. So uh, what happens next? This is announced today. Now what? Well, they're going to start to hear arguments. They're going to hear from different advocacy groups. This will take them months to review. They will have to um, go through this process. They're going to have a judge eventually write out the decision for them after they make their vote. Again, this is probably not going to happen until next summer at the earliest. But in the meantime, you probably will see different states trying out, you know, what their own uh, changes to abortion policy could look like, considering that the Mississippi case has gotten all the way to the Supreme Court. We're probably going to see over the next year and a half a lot of uh, discussion, debate, and advocacy around abortion rights and anti-abortion policy. That was uh, Sarah Overmall, political health reporter. Thanks for being here for this. Thank you guys for having me. Coming up on the show, a mom exercises foul spirits from her gay teen's room. More on this latest viral video that is making us say WTF next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The latest wacky video to go viral on TikTok includes a Christian mom exercising her gay daughter's room. And it's gone viral. Here's a moment and also trigger warning for those who uh, might have experienced this as well. Thank you, Jesus. Demons, foul spirits, lying spirits, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Praise you, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm getting triggered by that. Uh, and in on the video, it says, if you're wondering what religious abuse is here... And what was also so sad about the video is the young girl walks away and she's basically crying. It's not one of those videos where she's making fun of the person, her her mom. You can see the emotional trauma and impact that this is having on her. Yeah, you know, okay, so last night, uh, if you watched the, 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 if you're watching the final season of Pose, last night we got to see uh, Billy Porter's characters pray tales Um backstory a little bit of a backstory um and it was such a great episode because it dealt a lot with religion and church and him just kind of standing in himself and standing up for himself with his family who are very religious and even his place in the church and because i think it's a very um it can be a very conflicting emotion when you grew up in the church and you're being told that you're you know you will never be accepted because of who you are and who you love and so I think about moments like these and how religion has such a hold on uh, Christians or any religion, really, if, you know, they are not um, inclusive. Um, It has such a hold on, and and this could be really triggering for Uh kids who are going through this because that mother is just yelling and screaming and, and painting signs on the door. 
and and it just feels so like, are you really wasting your energy on this instead of just loving your child? Yeah, so, uh, a lot of commenters were saying just that, like, you know, this is the hate, the love that is basically hate. Like, she's trying to show this is her love, but it's really hate. Um, and also, like, the minute that this uh, young girl is able to leave the house, she's going to leave her house. Like, the moment she can. And that's yeah, what, unfortunately, before, it breaks, before. it tears families she might, apart. If she doesn't feel safe enough, like so many queer uh, kids who probably went through this entire pandemic having to just, like, stand firm and, and unfortunately, you know, uh, minimize themselves to just feel safe in their own home if they have to deal with parents who aren't accepting of them. Most of the time, a lot of them leave early yeah. if they can't go to other people's friends, you know, house or find their own chosen family. And so that's still a possibility. And so I'm hoping that she is finding community, um, on, you know, by posting this on TikTok, but also um, it's not like a traumatizing thing for her. Yeah, and I think for those who aren't experiencing this, that this is revealing to see what actually happens. So when people are sharing their lived experiences and sharing the trauma that they've been through, unfortunately, you can witness that through these videos, which, by the way, I wish they weren't there. But, I mean, it it does help us all, unfortunately, understand and support those who are going through this. Uh, So a shout out to this TikToker, TikToker, Celia Brooks. She seems to be continuing to be happy and dancing with her girlfriend in other videos. So that's all. That's good. That's good stuff. Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour next. We've got more details on Bill Gates' love affairs coming out. Stick around for more after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, more on the doctors treating trans youth, their uncertainty and even lack of training that's coming out. Plus, we might we might know more about why Melinda divorced Bill Gates. The gossip in the tea report with Ryan. Yeah, so get ready. I mean, more and more keeps coming out. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not I'm not going any further on any details because okay. I want everyone to stick around. Well, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Israeli warplanes launched a fresh round of massive airstrikes in Gaza on um, Monday and also over the weekend as the most serious conflict in years enters a second week. And international calls for a ceasefire is continuing to mount. Israeli strikes have killed 200 people in Gaza, including 59 children and 35 women, displacing 40,000 more. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza shared that today. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Sunday that he would do, quote, whatever it takes to restore order and that it will take some time. Now, Governor Cuomo defended himself and denied allegations of sexual harassment today during a press conference. He's facing several probes and an impeachment inquiry into his conduct after multiple women accused him of inappropriate behavior. And uh, he shared this of what he thinks about all of that. There is a legal definition of harassment that is very clear. All I was saying is just uncomfortable does not uh, mean sexual harassment. You make me uncomfortable by some of the questions you ask me. That is not sexual harassment. There are other elements that also have to be added. Okay, once again, uh, keep digging. (laughs) My thing is, I didn't know the harasser made the rules. I mean, my thing is, you can't, if you clearly don't know what are the boundaries and the rules for what qualifies sexual harassment or not. If someone is telling you they feel sexually harassed and in your actions, a question that you ask, uncomfortable, being uncomfortable is what that means. And so for him to kind of be doubling down on this whole entire thing it just it just shows how gross he is and um that all that hype early last summer if i have to remind you someone in the studio had a crush on him i was into the cuomo hype me and chelsea Hamler. <laughs> well you know this is just definitely yeah an angle you don't want to take when you have these allegations against yourself it's a crappy angle yeah And also announced today, Cuomo is being paid more than $5.1 million for his book on leadership during the coronavirus crisis. And then there's going to be another book of him talking about how he survived sexual harassment claims. Yeah. Called... Disgusting. uh, Getting Comfortable with Discomfort. No. 
Okay, uh, and uh, tens of millions of U.S. households will begin receiving monthly checks of up to $300 per child starting July 15th. Uh, That's from President Biden's administration. They announced that today. The checks are the result of a boosted child tax credit program that Democrats included in the American Rescue Plan, the $2 trillion COVID-19 relief bill Biden signed into law in March. So way to go. $300 per child starting July 15th. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. Let's talk Bill Gates. Yes. Because apparently he has always had questionable behavior before this divorce. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. More news continues to come out about Bill and Melinda Gates as their divorce is the center of attention. Bill Gates was investigated for a past affair back in 2019 with an employee after the staffer basically brought it to light, um, basically leading the founder to step down from Microsoft's board last year, according to a new report. However, Gates claims the investigation was not the reason for his stepping down. The Wall Street Journal reports that Gates, um, who was 65, was being um, investigated by an outside law firm hired by Microsoft board members after one of the company's engineers claimed she once had a years-long sexual relationship with Gates dating back to 2000. I'm sorry. What? I know he's rich and all, but girl, I I ain't having no sex with Bill Gates. (laughs) He obviously brings all the milkshakes to the yard. I mean, he's paying for the milkshakes to to be at the yard, (laughs) and he's paying for the yard. Um, In a statement obtained by People, a rep for Gates said there was an affair almost 20 years ago, which ended um, amicably Amicably. I can never Amicably. Say, amic, I can never say that word. That's actually my word that I can never say. Um, Bill's decision to transition off the board was in no way related to this matter. In fact, he had expressed an interest in spending more time on his philanthropy starting several years later. And we all know that Melinda Gates and her um and part of her statement and what reps and sources have said, you know, that she just said basically their marriage was at a mute point, uh, a moot point and basically dead, and there was no way of reviving it. And so these this news coming out about this investigation and finding out that maybe it did have a little bit more to do with the reason behind the divorce and then also behind him stepping down from Microsoft. So I don't know. Everyone's obsessed with this and Everyone why is. it is happening. And so I think more news is going to come out. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're at that level, nothing is hidden. I mean, to be honest, I don't really care that much. Like, I think it's interesting um, to kind of know why, and I guess they are the richest people ever, and so it's it's like, why? This is relationship Is this that surprising? And it's not like... I don't feel like, yes, There's a, you could say there's an abuse of power when you have a relationship with an employee. Who is who at the same time, At the same time, uh, there's been people propositioning. I've seen a lot of the videos on social yeah, media. Yeah, because money is just driving the attention. But it <laughs> seems like this woman had, uh, uh, they were having a relationship but then at with that, each other. At that point, it's kind of embarrassing Unless, like, yeah, it was it was bad and negative and toxic. But if you had a good, good relationship and end, ended amicably, blah blah blah, like, why even talk about it with people in that way? Like, an invest, like, why let people know if it was that? It's that's a really personal thing. Wait, so you're saying why let people know that they even had an affair? Yeah. So she should never spoke out about it. I think if you had a consensual, uh, intimate relationship, that's pretty personal. And if you unless, had, like, a, you know, unless, unless you were, he was he an a hole and a d bag, but that's she, what I'm it saying. seems like that she just shared about it because maybe it came up and people asked her. I so, don't know. I don't know. It's like, I, I feel like there's some privacy that needs to be understood between two people as long as it's like a safe, what a healthy relationship, but how healthy can it be if he's having an affair? Yeah, I don't know. Let's keep the conversation going at LGT Show Everywhere. I got more tea report next hour. So honey, get ready for that. Um, and that's it. I'm done spilling. Okay, well, next, a writer is sharing the harsh truth and power behind defying immigrant parents' career expectations. We dive into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Following your passions for first or second generation immigrants can be challenging, including when your parents have a specific idea of what and who they want you to be. Melissa Pandika, staff writer at Mike.com, recently shared her story on this topic. Thanks for being here on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So why did you decide to share this very uh, personal part of you? 
partly because when I was growing up, I felt kind of alone in this struggle. Um, just hearing from peers to follow my dreams, do what you want, do what you love. And I, you know, inwardly wanted to respond that, no, this is much harder <laughs> than, or just much easier said than done. And I think um, part of the motivation for writing this piece was to, you know, reassure other second gen um, folks that, you know, they're not alone in this. And, you know, there are ways, there are, there's a thought process you can go through to help you have that conversation with your parents and like reconcile um, their vision of success with yours. You know, I often wonder because this is a conversation and a feeling that only really uh, people of color feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder, how is this, and do, would you consider this idea of like the American dream that so many immigrant parents and even like, you know, POC parents feel, do you feel like that is kind of like a, a weird product of white supremacy of trying to live up to the standard that puts all of this pressure on kind of generations of people of color? Yeah, I definitely do. It is definitely this, um, capitalist, white, heteronormative, very narrow vision of success. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, too, it can be a way to pit uh, BIPOC against each other. Mm -hmm. So um, just, you know, trying to be more like the white man (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yes, the model minority. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. With like the model minority, minority stereotype, it's so much built on this, you know, this American dream and, you know, being able to point to one group of people or a person and saying, well, they were able to succeed in this specific way. Why can't the rest of you? And, you know, ignoring all the systemic issues that prevent other groups from being able to do that as easily. Yeah, definitely. And even, I mean, I I only can share my experience as a Jew, right? And like how my Mm -hmm. parents always thought, it's like, doc, you either married a doctor or a lawyer, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I think as we became more modern as women, we would pursue those careers. And then, yeah, pursuing a career in entertainment or something more unstable, it's like, (laughs) okay, do we trust that that's going to make you enough money? And if it doesn't then who's going to support you it never does you know what i mean like it's that it's <laughs> yeah. that constant um battle getting them to understand that but you do include questions that you should be asking yourself which i thought were really great prompts for those listening let's break it down yeah so i definitely have to shout out to um now allison nobrega who is a therapist in oakland who sort of gave helped me with these prompts um And I think the first thing to consider, um, again, is sort of the, you know, the reason for this um, conflict in the first place is there is this huge gulf between, you know, what our parents (laughs) define as success and what we do. And yeah, you know, for parent, for our parents, there's this, you know, the focus is on survival because that's what they had to focus on. <laughs> and so with but with us, though, we're in a much better place. Um, not all of us, but many of us, um, especially millennials, we're so uh, we see a lot of us see our profession as like a calling and we care about work-life balance and that can be hard for our parents to understand. Um, and then it's just also realizing like if you base your career decision solely on what your parents want, that's going to breed a lot of resentment. <laughs> so um, it's healthy to maybe think through, yeah, that line of questioning. Yeah. So, you know, first working through your emotions, um, remembering you could still honor your identity as a child of immigrants um, without necessarily sticking to this, you know, profession that your parents wish you had and kind of exploring what it means to be a child of immigrants. How can you show that to your family um, in other ways beyond having the job that 
they want you to have. Yeah, I think my favorite um, uh, one that you listed was, you know, you might disappoint your parents, but that is okay. And I think, you know, people have to find more confidence in that idea of being like, if it, your, your parents' plan might not be your plan and you don't have to have that pressure on, you don't have to continue to live with that pressure and that guilt. And so uh, you listed and so many other helpful tips on Mike.com that I think everyone mm-hmm. should go check out and reference if they are feeling these feelings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I encourage you to, thank <laughs> if you, you feel like this resonates with you. Yeah. yeah we appreciate you. you for being here. That was Melissa Pandika, staff writer at Mike.com. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Arkansas Senate passed legislation prohibiting medical providers from offering gender-affirming hormones or surgeries to trans youth. The attack on trans youth and doctors is at an all-time high, as we know, but it has a deep history. Steph Schuster looks at this in their book, Trans Medicine, and they join us now. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, you're also an assistant professor of sociology at Michigan State University, giving you some creds Mm -hmm. there. But uh, (laughs) tell us more about this book and how relevant it it is for what we're going through right now. Yeah, yeah. So the book, um, you know, part of it is about the history of trans medicine, all of the dilemmas that providers were grappling with in the 1950s and 60s and really just trying to figure out how to work with trans people. Um, And then the second part is about what's happening right now on the ground um, and how they still face a lot of uncertainty in their work with trans people. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is like the history of resistance because kind of pointing out this lack of evidence, as you mentioned in your article, isn't Mm -hmm. really anything new. So how are providers who are trying to, one, be uh, kind of, there in trans medicine and make sure, especially now that everything, whatever, everything that's happening in the political world, how are we seeing that kind of shift and change where there is more evidence kind of to back up a lot of the the conversations that are happening in terms of trans medicine in the medical field? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So things have certainly, you know, changed over time. (laughs) Um, Slowly but surely. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, um, you know, 70 years. But I think that there's still some unresolved dilemmas that they have. Um, so while there is more evidence that's accumulating about the benefits of trans and non-binary people uh, being on hormones and being affirmed in healthcare spaces, there's still a lot of providers who, like, they don't know how to interact with trans people. They don't know what best practices might look like they kind of freeze up when they're working with trans people. So I think that some of that training is really lacking. Um, And a lot of medical providers, when they go through, you know, uh, med school, they have like one diversity day where they're introduced to LGBT and Q people. So there's still a lot of work to do, but um, yeah. And how can we use this information to support the trans community right now as more and more attacks continue to come and also the medical providers who do this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, Shira. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's so complicated. I think that, you know, it's worrisome that state legislators are using the, the lack of scientific evidence about, for example, the long-term effects of hormones to justify um, engaging in punitive legislation, banning doctors from offering hormone therapy. Um, it creates a really chilly environment, I think, for medical providers. And instead of banning providers from being able to work with trans people, I think, you know, there's other, there's other strategies. Um, increasing funding for long-term studies about the effects of hormones, increasing training for providers so that they do feel more comfortable with trans people, and I think that on the, you know, from a trans people's perspective, um, being able to go into a health clinic and have providers who are knowledgeable, competent, and affirming of their health care is something that is still concerning for a lot of trans people. 
stuff. Yeah, I do wonder, and this is a very serious question, if like mm-hmm. the more medical providers kind of speak out against everything that's happening politically, do you even think that would even shift what is happening with leadership kind of passing these very anti-trans leg- legislations? Like, do you even think that will have an impact? Because it feels like they are determined to do what they're doing right now. Yeah, it you know, it is... <sighs> I feel like our our society in general is so fractured and, you know, on one hand over the last year, we've certainly seen more people um, respecting medical providers and public health officials, et cetera. And yet there's a lot more people also who are openly um, in disdain of the scientific and medical community. So I think it would be helpful, though, for providers to be a little bit more vocal on what's happening nationally Um and all of the anti-trans legislation that's being passed right now. Well, how are they getting yeah. that training, though? How are providers getting that training? Yeah, because that's a, that's one of the lack of things. And maybe if you could actually talk a little bit about that, because we want to keep you on to touch a little bit more about this conversation. So think about that, because I would love to know okay. how they're even getting trained in the first place. So don't go anywhere. we got more show coming up. <laughs> okay. So. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Steph Schuster, assistant professor of sociology at Michigan State University, also the author of Trans Medicine. Yeah, and right before the break, I I really wanted to know, because I feel like there's such a lack of education as we're talking about here. How are providers even being trained? Are there resources where they're finding these things? Are, are there classes or courses that hospitals should really be kind of implementing to making sure that their staff is as educated as possible and being inclusive as well? Yeah, um, so there are slowly but surely more like formal training opportunities for providers. um, And a lot of them are occurring in healthcare conferences that often happen on the coasts, also in Chicago and Philadelphia. Um, So there are like continuing education opportunities. But I think that part part of what my work is really pointing to is that if medical providers were being trained across the medical curriculum, even in those small examples, you know, um, instead of consistently using language such as like, if you have a woman patient or a man patient, um, actually incorporating trans and non-binary people into the way that they're learning about bodies, um, the, the cases that they are, you know, working through, I think it would help to familiarize providers with the fact that there are going to be trans and non-binary patients who come through their doors for gender-affirming care, but also for everyday care, right? Um, but I, I, a lot of providers are getting their experience kind of learning by doing, which is oh, how wow. they, that's how they learn in a lot of areas. But I think that the lack of familiarity that a lot of people have still with trans and non-binary people shows up in healthcare encounters where there still is bias that might be coming into those spaces. Yeah, and also the threat to their own work, should they do something, if they already don't get it, why would they take that risk? Um, In your article in the Mm. conversation, as we wrap things up, you do mention recommendations of how the country should be dealing with this, because right now, different states are obviously punishing these doctors. Yeah, and I think it's a really unfortunate move um, by legislators because the people that it's harming the most, of course, are trans and non-binary youth um, who already are grappling with a lot. So I think that, if anything, the message message to put out there, right, from providers and also uh, activists and advocates and everyone is that the way to help medical providers be better doctors to trans and non-binary youth is not by um, threatening to take away their licenses, but rather to support them in being able to get more training opportunities in the first place. Well, that was Steph Schuster, Assistant Professor of Sociology at Michigan State University. Check out their book, Trans Medicine, at nyupress.org. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now coming up, transgender women are now allowed to play women's rugby in France. More on that next on What's Trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
Coming up on the show, long working hours are literally killing people. More on what this new study reveals in 15 minutes. Plus, Colton Underwood's message for everyone asking him about his sex life. That's in the T-Report in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The French Rugby Federation will allow transgender women to play women's rugby as of next season, going against the governing body World Rugby's guidelines. You know, last year, World Rugby said that after months of research, it had concluded that safety and fairness cannot be presently assured for women competing against trans women in contact rugby, however, allowing national federations to do their own policies. So the FFR said that transgender women must certify that they have been on hormonal treatment for at least 12 months, must not exceed a certain amount of testosterone um, threshold, and that means that transgender women still transitioning can also be allowed to play women's rugby. So an early yes queen to France. Yes, queen. There you go. Parlor, remember that? The alt-right app. Well, they came back to life on Apple's App Store today, and it's supposedly a less offensive version. They're trying to say doubt that. It. I posts, really doubt it. Uh, posts that are labeled hate by Parler's new artificial intelligence moderation system won't be visible on iPhones or iPads. And there's a different standard for people who look at Parler on other smartphones or on the web. They'll be able to see posts marked as hate, which includes Rachel, racial slurs, by clicking through to see It them. includes Rachel. Rachel's. <laughs> All Rachel's. And Karen's, okay. actually. Um, <laughs> And finally, during a telephone call with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, President Biden expressed his support for a ceasefire and discussed U.S. engagement with Egypt and other partners towards that end. And that comes from the White House. They also said that Biden reiterated Israel's right to defend itself, but encouraged Israel to make every effort to ensure the protection of innocent civilians. They also discussed progress in Israel's military operations against Hamas and other terrorist groups in Gaza. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, Mr. Colton Underwood is calling out everyone asking him inappropriate questions about his sex life. Um, It is time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So... During an Instagram Q&A over the weekend, uh, the Bachelor alum responded to a fan who asked how many men he's been with. I mean, why would you ask that? Uh, here's what he said. Let me vent for a second. Questions like this are inappropriate. I understand you might know me from The Bachelor where I showed a lot about my personal life, but I have set boundaries and I'm respecting myself in a way that will lead me to a healthier life. I never asked to be labeled as the virgin, uh, virgin Bachelor and have people feel the security to ask me questions about my sex life. It just happened, and during that time, I thought I had no other choice but to just go with it with the network, or, or the network would be mad. I know differently now. Um, so do you think he has a point about this? I mean, being asked that question about his sex life. I think we've talked about this a lot when women are asked about their sex life, how that's really inappropriate. So why would it be appropriate if it was for a guy or anyone else? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't I don't know why people feel the agency to be all up in his business like that. Like, that's none of your damn business. If he wants to go to bathhouses one day, go to a sex party the next day, and sleep with tons of <laughs> Do other it. men. That's his business. Um, and I think it's also really triggering because uh, in the Variety magazine cover that he covered, uh, I believe it was last week that it came out, he revealed that he was blackmailed after visiting a, a L.A. spy out here and someone took photos of him. And so this idea that you can just ask someone a question just because you want to know, um, it just does not fly to me. Uh, for me, and it also did not fly for Colton. But also during this Q&A, the former football player revealed that his Netflix series will be coming out this fall. So that's the first time we've received some sort of time frame of when this show is going to be out. So that must mean they're wrapping up, you know, doing everything that they're doing with it. I am not sure about the show, but I know one thing I will probably be watching. So that's your team report. Mm -hmm. Well, the results of long working hours revealed in a new study what you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The first global study of its kind showed 745,000 people died in 2016 from stroke and heart disease. But why? You're asking? Because of long work hours. That's right. Long work hours can kill you. 
It was conducted by the International Labor Organization, found that people living in Southeast Asia and the Western Pacific region were the most affected, which is sad. And the World Health Organization also said the trends probably got worse during the pandemic. They actually uh, saw this. We have some evidence that shows that when countries go into national lockdown, the number of hours worked increases by about 10%. So if we were stressed before, well, we got more stressed. And then add in, obviously, you know, a pandemic besides the nature of being stuck in your home. Well, we're falling apart. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I... um. I'm not shocked by this. It's it is pretty alarming to know that this amount of people, almost a million people yeah. a year, are dying because of long working hours. It makes me feel like why haven't we adapted what we've seen in other parts of the world where you know they have like you know four day work weeks and things like that. Like I just don't understand when this feels like. A, a pandemic, another pandemic kind of creeping up because it's killing so many people. Well, it's a crisis. Yeah, it's a crisis, an epidemic. Is that is that the, it's smaller yeah. than the pandemic, but it's... I mean, no, I would say, like, globally, there are certain spots that have a really great way of life and work-life balance. Yeah. Actually, there are, I think they're called the blue spots where people live the longest and they say, Why? And one of them is definitely, you know, they're not working many long I, hours. <laughs> You know, I think capitalism has a hold on this country and just everyone, to be honest, because it is the way that we make money. It's the way that societies have been built off of. And so, yeah, the people making this money, the people working, it, it they're unfortunately being impacted by the stress that it's causing, right? Um, it, it's really, really sad, to be quite honest. It is. So if you're wondering, what does long work hours, though, mean, right? They found that working 55 hours or more a week was associated with 35% higher risk of stroke, 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease compared with working a 35 to 40 hour week. So, yeah, if you're thinking about minimum wage here and then folks having to work how many jobs just to pay rent and pay for their food... And that's, you know, that increases the hours they're working. You could say definitely we're in an epidemic. And actually, the government has a responsibility to step in to change that. Yeah, but what is what do you think that change actually really legitimately looks like? I uh, I think, yes, you increased of wages, like where you have a standard of living, like a basic income, mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. so you could pay for your basics, because when you don't have to fight for your basics, it shows an increase in um, better mental health, better well-being overall. And then, yeah, and then 40-hour work weeks, you could say 35 to 40-hour work weeks, and that, at, like, I don't know if it would be illegal, because it's, in the end, it's your choice, but there'd be an awareness from a company that you're going into, you know, territory where, where it can impact someone's health. Yeah, I just <laughs> I think what's really interesting for me is this idea that um, because even I, we've even had conversations about this. Right. Like when you're young, I feel like there's this idea of. You know, they're young. They should be working this hard. But it does feel like that even, that mentality is cutting our lives shorter because we're putting all this energy and the stress is building up. And and it really feels like, could this possibly impact like the lifespan of even younger generations? We could start seeing younger people having, you know, things like strokes and things so like here's that. The like, thing. that's intense yeah, for I me think this as is I where, think about it. This is where tech and could work for us and against us. We're allowing ourselves to live longer. And yet by allowing ourselves to live longer, we're creating more pressure on ourselves to create more during that lifespan. And what happens when we don't allow ourselves to live longer and better lives? Mm. We actually, I think it doesn't matter how progressive we are in terms of our technology, we will kill ourselves anyway. <laughs> like that's yeah. the idea. You can't stop your body from just falling apart if you're not treating it properly. Right. There's nothing that's going to solve that for you. Yeah. So, you know, and, and this post actually on LinkedIn from this 45 year old that went viral really um, shared the truth around this. Um, this. Yeah, this was a viral story. So he he's 45 years old. He was a managing uh, manager working at H. SBC, and he had just sat down on a Sunday afternoon. Anyway, he had a heart attack. Okay, 
And this story went, went viral. He shared his story on LinkedIn. He said, while recovering from his heart attack, he decided to restructure his approach to work. He said, I'm not spending all day on Zooms anymore. And his post struck such a chord with hundreds of re- readers who shared their experiences of overwork and the impact of their health. He said he doesn't blame his employer for the long hours he was putting in. But one respondent said, companies continue to push people to their limits without concern for your personal well-being. Uh, and so stories like this become a reality check for many of us. And why wait until your body falls apart? Why wait for a heart attack, for being at the edge of death to make a change? And and that's what studies like this bring up, bring up these questions that we really, these tough questions we should be asking ourselves. Yeah, because that number, if we don't do anything, is just going to increase and increase and increase until one day it's like us. That's why, just be aware of it. The younger and younger you are, the better. Because you're not getting any younger right now, you know. Stop you looking re- at me. <laughs> I, this is I'm looking at you. <laughs> so, coming up, this actually h- helps all of us. We're going to move into something positive. What we can do about this? How much sleep you need, depending on your age. An expert joins us for that next. Let's go there with, with Shira, Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The amount of sleep you need depends on your age. So, you know, producer Vanessa and Ryan, when I say I just need more sleep than you, there's a reason. Because I'm older. (laughs) Dr. Dana McMagan joins us right now. Associate Professor of Psychology at Florida International University. Thanks for being here. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's get into how much sleep you need depending on your age. Let's go through the whole list. Sure. So you need the most sleep at stages in your life when you're learning the most, because that's one of the sleep what things that sleep helps us do. Oh, so oh, you're, you're so, younger. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. our whole talking point is wrong. <laughs> but you argue could you could healthy you, adults need seven to nine hours of sleep. Or you oh, could then. argue that we're always learning throughout different stages of our life. I'm lives. learning a lot every day here on the show, man. <laughs> That's why I need a lot of sleep. So you say people over sixty five should get seven to eight hours sleep. All right, so we're talking about a few hours less, not like you know, a, a a gap of like six hours or something. Well, yeah, but if you talk about newborns, fourteen to seventeen hours is how much they're sleeping, and that's because so much and their their brains and bodies are growing so much. So that's yeah. the big discrepancy. Yeah, early in childhood you sleep a lot more. And what else are babies doing to be quite <laughs> honest? Like I mean, of course they're <laughs> sleeping. But my you know what I've always wondered about those numbers and those time frames that we always hear when it's, you know, t- when we're talking about sleep is how were those recommendations even created? It's such a good question. So this set of recommendations was created by a panel of experts, of 18 experts, who reviewed over 100 studies in the field of sleep research. And those studies are looking at things like how much on average do people sleep and how is that related to various health outcomes? So whether that's how you're functioning emotionally, how your heart, cardiovascular health is, diabetes, pain, all those kinds of things. And they're taking all those studies together and trying to come up with recommendations. There's also other kinds of studies where they bring you into a lab and let you sleep for 14 days and see at what point do you sort of get to a, uh, you've caught up on all of your sleep debt and now how much do you sleep when you're left to your own devices and you can sleep as long as you want. Do they pay so for all that? Those different yeah, I feel kinds like me and Ryan, we should do that. If they pay for that. For a, a video series. or a maybe, Yeah, maybe we'll do that for our show. We'll, 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 we'll follow us sleeping. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it if I'm not getting paid. I want to make money while I sleep. You know, be like Beyonce. <laughs> of course. This is a great way to be like Beyonce. What if you, you're you seeing this and you're saying, okay, I'm an adult. I need seven to nine hours of sleep. But what if you feel like you're needing more every night? Is that uh, then you may concerning? need more? Um, so there, these are all just estimates. So the seven to nine hours will capture most of the population, but there will be some people who need less or need more. It's few people, uh, but the way to know is if you're sleeping and you're waking up in the morning and you're not needing your alarm clock and you're feeling relatively refreshed and you're going about your day and not feeling overly tired or sleepy, you're probably getting enough sleep. But on the other hand, if you're struggling a lot, um, having attentional issues, uh, struggling to manage stress, all those kinds of things, you might want to check in on how much you're getting. You know what's interesting? I shock like very much. It was a shock for me. 
I found out that I am a snore. I even recorded my sna- myself uh, on my phone. I had my phone in my bed and was recording it uh, while I was sleeping. And I found out I was a snore. If you snore really loud, like for me, I had no clue about. Is that a, a bad issue? Does that mean you're not getting enough sleep in the way that you should be? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be a sign of um, of something getting in the way of your sleep. So if you snore a bunch, it's sometimes good to check in with your doctor and, and make sure everything's okay. Oh, great. I'm dying is what you said. <laughs> so what... No, it's obviously super common to snore. <laughs> what, what... I don't believe her. I mean, she said we, I'm I dying. Was like, I need to prepare my I, will. I, I've heard that, you know, yeah, you could be snoring a certain amount and you should be looking into it. But... Why is everyone telling me right now that I'm going to die? <laughs> you seem excited about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, at what point should you be worried? Is there a, uh, something if uh, that's happening to you that people should be going to their doctor? Yeah, well, so I'm not a physician, so I'm, I'm less qualified to speak about, you know, sleep as an illness. And I think more about sleep as an opportunity uh, where if we can enhance our sleep, prioritize sleep, optimize sleep, we can improve lots of aspects of health and wellness. Well, how do we um, do from, that? How do we do that? So one is setting aside time to sleep. We have so many things going on in life, but the irony is, of it is that the less you sleep, the more inefficient you become. So you were just talking about overworking, working too many hours, not taking care of yourself. So by working so much, not allowing time for sleep, you're actually becoming more inefficient throughout your day. So setting time aside for sleep is important. Um, getting regular sleep, so sleeping basically on the same schedule seven days a week within about a half hour is what is recommended, um, and making sure you're going to bed kind of in a good mood. So protecting the time before you go to sleep to do things that are fun and relaxing and enjoyable, uh, not checking in on that social media that's going to stress you out or reading the news if that stresses you out. Try to go to sleep in, in a good space. And that usually helps with the quality of your sleep as well. Yeah, if you don't get like, you know, that seven to nine hours of sleep, do uh, like multiple naps during the day help? Yeah, so napping can be one strategy for catching up on some sleep in the 24-hour cycle. But you just want to make sure if you have trouble falling asleep at night, keep those naps early enough in the day that they're not going to interfere and keep them relatively brief. So I usually recommend Mm -hmm. before 4 p.m. and 30 minutes or less. Oh, perfect. I love that. So a, a nighttime routine definitely changes things. Yeah. So I'd say about an hour before bed, you can start dimming the lights because that'll help trigger your circadian system to know that sleep is coming and that it's evening time. Um, you can, you know, read a, a nice happy book or watch something you enjoy on TV, but just try to keep things light and relatively positive. All right. Well, there you go. That yeah. helped all of us, I, I think, right now. I, think so I learned positive. a lot. I mean, that I'm dying. No, I'm just joking, but I did learn a lot, actually. <laughs> we appreciate it. That was Dr. Dana McMakin, Associate Professor of Psychology at Florida International University. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good one. Why NFTs, you know that new thing that everyone's talking about, will force your favorite viral videos to get deleted from YouTube? We'll tell you why next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Some of your favorite viral videos and memes are selling now as NFTs. Okay, this is the non-fungible token. It's like the virtual currency. People are buying basically an ability to own this. It's all confusing to me. I don't understand it. Everyone's creating weird things on the internet and being like, oh, it's uh, it's money. I'm oh, rich. Or I can just buy this thing off the internet. I don't get it. I don't know. So some of these pictures or viral videos are selling like for half a million dollars a piece, which is great considering those creators probably haven't made that money yet. It's existed in the cultural zeitgeist. Like the value of these things, is it's a high value thing. But at the same time, culturally, we don't really put a value on it. So you could say as an NFT, it's allowing these things to finally get the quote unquote value they deserve. And now it could be tracked. But the thing is, the creator is not going to own it. They get you know, hopefully five hundred thousand so dollars and call really it a day. The value that it deserves, if the creator's not getting the the money. Well, they're that now they finally deserve. getting you know enough money. It wasn't like YouTube was paying them, you know, necessarily that much. The, the, once something goes viral, it makes a bunch of money at first, and then it kind of stops making money. 
Right. And so, yeah, it's like, what else are you going to do with it? Well, then others like uh, David After Dentist, if you remember, like the kid that uh, had just gotten their, his teeth removed and he was like on drugs, mm-hmm. that only got like $12,000. So it makes you think like, okay, maybe they just sold their basically their one asset, their viral video for $12,000. Yeah, but you think that's a lot of money. And so why not take it, right? Well, uh, now this latest one, Charlie Bit My Finger is going up for auction as an NFT on May 23rd. Oh, Charlie. Yes. This video has, uh, if you remember, it's been viewed more than 830 mil- million times in the last last 14 years. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie bit me. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. Hey, I think this is a good part. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, we got the point. (laughs) So they're hoping they're basically going to put this on the NFT market and try to sell it for like a lot of money. And uh, is it, are these things really worth this? Is, is like there a point? Is this the end of um, an era? Because now that these, uh, these things get sold, the creator actually takes down the video forever. Yeah, um, it's really interesting that. I don't know what people are doing when they're spending this large amount of money. I don't know what people are doing. Are they going to watch it on repeat in their on you know every holiday or every day on their couch? I maybe someone is watching Charlie biting you know his brother's finger. I I just don't get it. Um, so for me NFTs just feels like it's a it's a really interesting way of one yeah giving the creator. Um, and the artists, what they deserve. But then also, what are you going to do with these things, these digital <laughs> versions of these things? It, it feels like it's kind of pointless. And you you need to have a, a bunch of money to be able just to like throw down for something like this. And in a time when, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of people not having money, unemployment, blah, 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 real blah, blah, blah. You know, where's this? Why isn't this type of money going to important things that can actually help all of us? Um... Well, it's capitalism, and that's just how capitalism there works. Always, it never benefits people who actually need it. <laughs> there will always be people that have just, like, millions to throw down on a piece of art. Yeah, that's true. And I, this is art that someone really thinks is worth a lot of money. Yeah, well, I don't get it. <laughs> Let us know what you think at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Delaware State University is forgiving more than $700,000 in student loans for recent grads who are affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, That's basically more than 220 students getting relief. And this will be done by funds from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act for COVID-19 relief sent by the Biden administration. That's according to the university. So very good stuff. How about that? Imagine you got some relief in a time like this. And we want to give a big yes, Queen, to Andrea Meza of Mexico, who has been crowned Miss Universe. Meza, who has a software engineering degree, beat out Miss Brazil at the end of the night, screaming uh, Sunday when she got it. Viva Mexico. So love that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I love how, like, they have these really amazing degrees and then they go after this. I know, right? Yep. That was our Yaz Queen of the Day, and that does it for our show today. I just hope one day I'll also get my student loans canceled. Seriously, I'm just looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, But Yaz Queen. We could all dream. I mean, do you even have any student debt? I got very fortunate. I got a scholarship. I got a She's scholarship. like, we can all dream, but I'm already, all dream. I already have the dream. I actually graduated <laughs> early. I, it was two years of college. And then I so you're going to take this time to brag okay. in the uh, midst of me begging for my student loans to be canceled. You asked me. I was trying to be honest and transparent. <laughs> but I'm happy to beat around the bush. Oh, my God. Or uh, just, you know, not go there. Yes. And, uh, yes, thanks for hanging out with us today. We appreciate mm-hmm. you. You can, of course, let us know any recommendations for stories we want to cover at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. We love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be uh, meeting the gay mixologist leading the alcohol-free spirits movement. And uh, what to do when 
you are what <laughs> what to do when your soul is too tired to even get off. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. When I saw this, by the way, it said, what to do when your soul's too tired to even get off post-pandemic? And I said, get off of work, this, that. And then it meant sexually, okay? It meant sexually. Okay? We're really talking about the sex. We talked about we're, it last yes. week. Now we're talking about it. Yeah, all right, let's buckle up. It's sex time. It's real. It's what's on everyone's <laughs> minds and beyond. I guess uh, everyone's really horny. <laughs> or they're not, Are according they're not? to this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's on tomorrow's show. If you miss any of our uh, shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So catch up on our show whenever you want go to the odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search let's go there we are sending you love and light and honey remember to slay and stick around for love line with dr chris where he's covering self-harm that's next